So the focus of Jesus on his last night, as we've seen so far, is preparation. Now, not preparation of himself for death, which to me is really amazing and selfless. I mean, here's the Lord, you know, in less than 24 hours, he's going to go to the cross and die for the sins of the world. But yet, that's not even really the Lord's focus yet. His focus is on his disciples. These disciples that, that, as we're told, he loved to the end. The Lord would prepare them because they would be the instruments who would lay the foundation of the church after the day of Pentecost. The way we've seen the Lord prepare his disciples so far is first teaching them the basis of ministry. He set that example in chapter 13. He showed them that they were not to reign as kings, but they were to serve as the lowest slaves. And the Lord demonstrated that by kneeling down, taking that garment, and going around and washing his disciples' feet. And then in chapter 14, and also the end of chapter 13, the Lord taught them a proper worldview about what was coming ahead. Soon Judas, they would find out, would betray the Lord. And also, the Lord told them that, that he was leaving, and so their hearts were troubled. But he gave them those, those seven truths that would encourage them in tough times. Tonight, the focus of Jesus is going to change now to relationships. Yes, relationships. In verses 1 through 11, we'll learn how we are to relate to Christ and the Father as disciples. In verses 12 through 17, we learn how we are to relate to one another as disciples. In verse 18 through chapter 16, verse 4, we'll learn how we are to relate to this world and how this world is going to relate to us since we're Christ's disciples. And then we'll also, in chapter 16, verses 5 through 15, we'll learn about the Holy Spirit and how we also relate to him. And so there's a lot of teaching about relationships that we're going to see beginning tonight and also in the coming weeks. But these relationships and our knowledge of them is going to affect how we minister and also affect our effectiveness as we go out and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So let's begin with our Lord's teaching on how, we re- on how you and I are to relate to him and his Father. And he does so by giving us an illustration. This illustration is of a vineyard. So as we look at this passage, we'll glean a couple truths. Get it? Glean a couple truths here uh, from this. And the things that we'll glean from this illustration is first, the necessity of abiding in Christ. And second, the blessings of abiding in Christ. And so first in verses 1 through 6, we learn the necessity of of abiding in Christ. Jesus says in verse 1 of chapter 15, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And so Jesus begins by describing the various roles here in this illustration. Jesus said, I am the true vine. Now this is the last of seven Jesus' great I am statements, and you can read them as you go through the Gospel of John. They're, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the door, I am the shepherd, the good shepherd, I am the resurrection, I am the way, the truth, and life. And now we see the Lord here say, I am the vine. Now notice he says, I am the true vine. This is not the first time that the, that the vineyard is used as an illustration in the Bible. Jesus' Jewish audience would have clearly understood that. Israel is described in the Bible as God's vineyard, and, we're, and we see that in the prophets. Israel's responsibility was to bear fruit and represent God. They were to represent God to the world around them, and they were also to bless the other nations as they bore fruit in holiness. But rather than bear fruit, they turned to wickedness. They did not fulfill their role on representing God, and so, you know, so the Lord takes it and, and, and says, hey, listen, I am the true vine. Now, there's an illustration of this, which is seen in the lives of the Pharisees and Sadducees. 
They were the religious leaders of the day, and they were the ones who were trying to turn people away from Christ. And here's Christ on his last night with a small group of disciples. And he says, hey guys, here's all these people following them and being deceived, but yet I am the true vine. They're not glorifying God, they're not bearing fruit, but yet if you want to bear fruit, you have to look to me. Jesus is that vine. He alone is the source of eternal life. Now, maybe the question arose in the minds of disciples, what do we do when Christ is gone? Do we go back to Judaism? But the answer, of course, would be no. Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the source of life. You know, the Lord said, hey, I'm leaving. Now the disciples are like, okay, well, we're with Jesus. What will we do? He says, remain in me. I am am the vine. Now, it's important to remember that Christ alone is our source of life. There's some awesome stuff that we can do in church. And there's some awesome stuff that we can do through church. But we also must keep the main thing the main thing. And that main thing is a personal relationship with Jesus through his word and prayer. And when it's all said and done, that's really what matters. It's a personal relationship with Jesus. Now concerning the Father, Jesus says he is the vine dresser. Jesus again here shows his humility. You see, while the Lord was equal with the Father, nevertheless he was submitted to the Father's will and to live for the Father's glory. The purpose of a vineyard is not to look good or to look beautiful, but its purpose is to bear fruit and be used by the one who plants it and take care of it and also who takes care of it. And Jesus understood this. He understood that his responsibility was to be the source by which people can bear fruit, which is eternal life and righteousness to glorify God. That's why Christ existed. And he was able to humble himself and and live in such a way to always give glory to the Father. Now, the Father, as the vine dresser, has the master plan and control of our lives. And this is important to understand as we learn about how we relate to him. The Father is always desiring to bring forth from from our life fruit, and he's always going to work in such a way to do that. This is really the Father's occupation, if you think about it. He is the vine dresser. It's not just like a hobby that he has. You know, I have various hobbies, and a lot of times I get distracted from them. Like, oh yeah, by the way, you know, oh, I I used to do that like five months ago, you know, kind of thing. You know, our lives are not like a hobby of the father that he has like in his little backyard, his little vine kind of thing. He gets sidetracked because he gets busy and he looks out and says, oh man, things drying up. Got to put some more water on it, you know. No, but this is his occupation. The Lord is focused on, on you and I and on our lives to care for us, to watch over us, to minister to us in order for us to bear fruit. And the father is going to excel in his job in bearing fruit. Now, the Lord continues to describe the work of the Father as a vine dresser in verse 2. He says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Every branch in me. Now, the branch refers to people, and the branches in Christ are those who have faith in him. This fruit that the branches are going to bear, as we're going to see, is personal righteousness and godliness. Now, this is true of believers both before the cross and after the cross. Before the cross is seen in the Sermon on the Mount. The Lord said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst righteousness. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. And so there is some kind of effect on the lives of the 
believers before the cross through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, they weren't permanently indwelt with the Holy Spirit, but nevertheless, God was working on their heart. They were bearing forth righteousness. After the cross, we know as we're permanently indwelt with the Holy Spirit, we have the fruit of the Spirit coming forth from our lives as we, um, you know, as the Lord works in our life. The fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These, those things that are described in Galatians. So the Lord is desiring to work in our lives that we bear fruit. Now in context, when Christ says those in him, he's referring to his disciples that were with him. Those disciples that were following him. Now these disciples, in an Old Testament sense, were saved. We know that because in verse 3, the Lord is going to say, you're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. And so the Lord says, hey, you guys are clean. And so this is very important because it shows us that the focus of the Lord in this passage is not salvation, you know, but it's sanctification. They were already saved. The Lord was going to teach them how to bear fruit and how to continue to grow as they would walk with the Lord and, and press forward after his um, departure. Now, first, the Lord teaches us more about the Father's work and how he's actively involved in our life. And that's really the context of this verse, too. It's the Father. He describes his role as the vine, the Father's role as the vine dresser, and then he continues that same thought down now into verse 2. And here's the work that the Father does in our life. First, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, we know from the whole testimony of Scripture that salvation is a total package by grace through faith alone. The Bible says, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. It's a total package. And it's all of grace. And so based on that truth, it's crazy to think that a person can lose their salvation. If a person is genuinely saved, if they genuinely exercise faith in Jesus Christ, and then they're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And nowhere in the New Testament do you see a believer unregenerated or the God take the Holy Spirit away from a believer. That being said, we can't read into these verses here that a believer can lose their salvation. Well, what is the Lord talking about here? Well, it's important to note, as some of you might have in your footnotes of your Bible, this word take away has been rendered lifted up or to take up in various passages. It's even used that way in the Gospel of John in chapter 8. And so that being the case, it's referring to the Lord those who are struggling in their faith, the Father in his sovereignty, and lifting them up, that, they, that he would clean them off, that they would get more sunlight and bear fruit. And this is actually what the people would do in Israel at that time, the vine dressers. When they would go through and the vines would hang down, they would start falling in the mud, right? And they would get all dirty. They'd begin to build fungus and, and things like that. The vine dressers would come through, they would wash the fruit off, and then they would prop the vine up. They would tie it back up that it can get more sunlight and be protected. And scholars say that's a better way to render this word take away. And so we have the promise that those who are not bearing fruit, the Father is going to work in their life in such a way to take them up that they could bear fruit so, they, so the Father could wash them and cleanse them. And those of you that have gotten away from the Lord know that truth personally. I know that truth personally as when I was in high school. I gave my life to Christ, but for a moment there, I, I tried to run from the Lord, and the Lord wouldn't let me go. He you know, came after me, and, and, he, and he grabbed me, and he put me in a place and a position to where I can come back to him and, and bear fruit. 
And we have that promise that, man, if a person's, you know, being disobedient to the Lord, if they're a true believer, the Lord's going to get a hold of them. He's going to work in such a way for them to bear fruit. Now, also, the Lord works in such a way to wash people that, you know, those who are walking with him, that they can continue to bear more fruit. And we have that promise here. He says that God will continue to work in our lives that we would bear more fruit. And the way that he does this is by pruning. The first is by lifting up, but the other is by pruning. Pruning can be translated cleanse. This can refer to the Father cutting away things that hinder us from bearing fruit, right? I, was, I took a forestry class in high school. Our teacher would always tell us, prune with the purpose. And, and, and the Father does, does this. Also, the cleaning more than likely refers to the continual washing of the fruit to keep insects away, to keep mildew away, and to keep fungus away. So how does the Father do this in our life? Well, Jesus is going to tell us in the same sermon, the same context, in John 17, he's going to pray that the Father would sanctify us by his word, for his word is truth. That's really the Lord's focus here, is sanctification. It's the process in which the Lord makes us holy, makes us more like Christ. God prunes our life through his word. The Bible says that his word is sharper than any two-edged sword, is able to divide between the soul and the spirit. And the Lord is able to do that perfect work as we spend time with him in the word. We've all had this experience. As you're in the word and the Lord speaks to you and you think, okay, I, I need to cut that thing out of my life. It's, it's taking too much of my time. It's taking too much of my focus. It could be a good thing, you know? But the Lord is able to do that. Don't think of the Father as a machete, you know, ha- having a machete like me in Columbia, hacking at a tree or whatever. No, the Lord has, he's pre- it's a precision work of love that he will point things out to us in the scriptures. The Bible also says that the word washes us in Ephesians 5. Washing with the water of the word. And as we walk through this world and as we you know, go through our day, we pick up things from the world. The Lord even talked about this in John 13. As he washes us and cleanses us, that we can be you know, strong and, and bear more fruit. Verse 3, you're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. So once again, the word of God has the power to save, but the word of God has also the power to cleanse and to sanctify. The disciples were already clean, but the Lord wasn't done with them yet. He wanted to continue to to cleanse them and change them. It's a work of sanctification. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Now, Jesus was leaving, as I said, and where were the disciples to go? Were they to go back to Judaism? Well, even though Jesus was leaving, they were to continue to abide in him. No religion of any amount or any good work can produce a true righteousness that pleases God. The Pharisees, they had a lot of works, but yet they were like a branch that was, that was disconnected from the vine. They can never bear fruit to please the vine dresser. Only as a branch abides in Christ and his teachings would they continue to bear fruit and to please God. Now the Lord here gets very, very specific here. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And so the Lord drives it home here to his disciples. He says, hey, listen guys, I'm leaving, but I want you to bear fruit. And I want you to know that if you're going to be effective, you have to abide in me. 
to abide in Christ would be to remain in him, to remain in his teachings, to remain by following his example. As a result of doing so, they would be permanently indwelt with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and the Lord would use their life to go out and affect others. Now, through faith in Christ, you and I can please God because the Lord wants to do so in our life. He wants us to, to glorify him, and, and through abiding in him, the Lord has that, that work. Apart from the Lord, we can't please God, but only as we walk with him can the Lord do that good work. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they're burned. Now, at first glance, this verse seems to teach that a believer who does not continue to follow Christ will lose their salvation. But I don't think this is, this is what the Lord's saying at all. Christ is saying one of two things, and I think both of these are true and plausible from this verse. First, the Lord, is, as we have seen so far, he's talking about fruit. He's talking about sanctification. The person who does not abide in Christ is really wasting their life, and they're worthless. It's a waste of a life to live with one foot in Christ and also one foot in the world. All right, Just as you can't build anything through a vine or through a, a branch, even so, a person who you know, is not walking with the Lord is really useless. And the Lord wants, us to, and he wants to illustrate that here. He said, there is, you know, nothing, it's really made for firewood. That's what it's for. You can't build anything out of it, can't make any structure out of it. It's good for nothing. And the same thing for you and I. He drives it home. He says, listen, if you're not going to bear fruit, then really your, your life is going to be worthless. It's going to be a waste. Because the reason why you and I were made, we were made with eternity in our heart. And we were made to follow God and to please God and to love God. The second possibility is illustrated in Judas. Eventually the disciples would discover that Judas is the betrayer that Jesus spoke of. And as Jesus was saying this, Judas was actually turning his back on Christ and selling him out to the scribes and Pharisees. Now, as we know from John 13 and other passages, that Judas was not a believer, but yet Judas was with the Lord for a long time, but yet he was never truly born again. And the Lord said he he wasn't clean. So the Lord here could have gave a contrast. He said, listen, abide in me, and the evidence of abide in me is going to be fruit and fruit that remains. John will later take this up as epistle and talking about false teachers. He says, they went out from us because they were not of us. And if they were of us, they would have remained with us. And so true fruit, you know, um, true salvation is, is born by fruit. James says, faith without works is dead. And so a, a true saving faith will produce fruit and fruit that remains. So the focus is fruit here in this passage. And the Lord says a life given over to him will bear fruit. And that's really the effective life. Now we come to our second point, verses 7 through 11. We see the blessing of abiding in Christ. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Now Jesus spoke a lot about prayer in the Gospels. He spoke about it in chapter 14. He spoke about it in the Sermon on the Mount. And now once again he talks about it. And he tells us that we have a good father who wants to answer prayers. He wants to answer the prayers of his children. Now the way that the believer has assurance that God will answer our prayer is to abide in Christ. Now, 
it's important to note that Christ isn't giving us a tactic here to make God a genie and so he will do whatever we want. Like, oh, cool, I'm Biden, so God, give me a Mercedes. You know, the minivan's not really functioning very well today. You know? No, but the Lord here is teaching us how to draw close to God and know his will for our life. You see, as we abide in Christ, the Father is going to prune us. He's going to cleanse us. And in doing so, the Lord is actually going to align our hearts and our minds with his heart and mind. And as John says later in his epistle, if we ask anything according to the will of God, the Father hears us. And so the way that we know God's will and the way that we know God's heart is by continuing to abide. And so, yes, God does answer the prayers of those who abide in him. And the reason he does so is because as we abide in Christ, God will shape our minds and our hearts to follow him. This is cool. You know, you, have you ever thought, man, I, I, I want to please God. How do I do that? Well, the, the Lord says, it's very simple. Just abide in me. Walk in my word. And as you do so, God's going to transform and change you into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Not only will we be in line with the Father and have a dynamic life, but we'll bear fruit which will glorify God. Once again, people ask the question, what's God's will for my life? Well, it's real simple. God's will for your life is that you would glorify him. And the way that you glorify him is by abiding in him and also bearing fruit. That's what the Lord wants from us. The Lord is more concerned with you than he is on what you do for him. The Lord is more concerned with your fruit from your life than he is your own ministry. Because ministry can't come forth from a life that is not bearing fruit. Now, yeah, you can continue to do stuff and God by his grace will cover you because he loves his people. But a true work of God comes forth from the inside as the Lord does a work in his servant and works his way out. And so if you want to please God, glorify him by bearing fruit. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Wow. Really, that's a whole lot of love. The Father loved Christ as the Father loved me. And really, we can't even really fathom that love if you think about it. Think about the love that the Father had for Christ. It's beyond human understanding. Because who can understand the heart of God? Only the Spirit of God. Who can understand the infinite mind of God? But yet Christ says that same love is the love that he has for you and I. It's, the, it's, it's a love that is beyond our understanding. The Lord loves us. Oftentimes, people who are real legalistic go around and say, don't tell people when you preach the gospel that Jesus loves them. Well, what are you talking about? Jesus says here, if you abide in me, I love you, right? The Lord loves us. So go around and tell everybody Jesus loves you. It's a biblical thing. And it's a love that they can't even understand. It's, it's a love that the Father had for Christ. It's the same love that, that he has for us. If you, being evil, know how to give good things to his children, how much more will your Father in heaven give to those who ask him? The Father loves us. That really should just set us free to just walk with the Lord and just rejoice and follow him and serve him. And that's what he says here in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. How do we abide in the Lord's love? Well, the Lord says here, keep his commandments. To abide in Christ's love means to respond to the love that the Father gives to us. It's that relationship thing, like a husband and wife. As you love one another, you you respond to each other's love. In the same way for a person who knows Christ. 
If a person truly knows God and the love that he has for them, if you truly know Christ and the love that he has for you, you will respond to his commandments and obey and do the things that he says. A person who doesn't follow the commandments of Christ, I have to question whether they actually have ever experienced the love of God. Whether, you know, whether a person has ever experienced the grace of God. People said, oh, grace, if you teach grace, people are going to go out and do whatever they want. And Paul said, God forbid. How shall we who died to such things live any longer in it? If you really understand that what God has done for you and how much he loves you, why would you want to go out and disobey his commandments? And if you're born again, you know when you disobey his commandments because you're convicted by the Spirit, right? And you'll confess your sin. So the Lord says, hey, abide in my love. And the way you do so is by keeping my commandments. And we'll look at more of those commandments next week. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. So the purpose of this passage is not to scare the disciples about losing their salvation, but it was to teach them how to have a dynamic and joyful life. The Lord says, I've spoken these things to you that your joy may be full, that it'll be overflowing, that you'd just be so excited and pumped up about where you are right now in him. He was leaving, persecution would come, but the Lord said, don't let it shake you, because if you're in me, you're going to bear fruit, and you're going to have joy. In closing, this was Christ's last night before the cross. As I said, he would soon leave and ascend to heaven. The disciples would not be lost, though, or look, you know, to, you know, they would not look around for what to do. Rather, they were to remain in Christ and his words, and as a result, they would bear fruit. Now, you and I, we have the blessing of being able to read the scriptures and see God work in their lives. We're able to read the book of Acts and see God produce fruit. We're able to read the epistles and see the change of life. Well, in the same way for you and I, one day we'll be able to look back at our life. And the Lord has a promise for us. As we abide in him, we'll bear fruit. And it'll be fruit that remains. Amen?